Welcome to the F Man Podcast, where we are delighted to welcome back a friend of the show, Jonathan Baird, an award-winning money manager and publisher of the Global Investment Letter. Jonathan speaks and writes about macro themes in markets based on his many decades of experience in this area. In this episode, we talk about how to be more aware of the macro fundamental factors in markets and how to successfully fuse macro fundamental analysis, market valuation approaches, technical analysis, and market sentiment into a coherent risk approach. First, we would like to thank our podcast sponsorship partners, without whose support this show would not be possible. TradeStation Global and the Society of Technical Analysts, the STA. TradeStation Global is a multi-asset trading platform with access to international markets. Trade stocks, forex futures and micro e-mini futures from one account. Leverage professional grade tools like Radar Screen, The Matrix and Easy Language, an intuitive coding language for traders. And with TradeStation Global, there are no hidden price spreads, just transparent low commissions. To find out more and open an account, visit tradestationinternational.com forward slash alphamind or see the link in the episode description. TradeStation International Limited is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK and acts as an introducing broker to Interactive Brokers UK Limited. The firm does not provide investment advice or trading recommendations. Investment and trading involves risk, including possible loss of principal. At present, the TradeStation Global product is not available to EU residents. The Society of Technical Analysts, the STA, are another long-established organisation with a great reputation. They are a member-led and not-for-profit body who have been providing world-beating education to the trading and investment community for over five decades and serve the needs of their members by providing outstanding online talks and webinars, regular newsletters, education, diplomas and continued professional development programs. Their home study course has been created by many of the world's leading minds in technical analysis and provides learning of a depth and breadth that is unparalleled in the trading and investing world. Listeners to the AlphaMind podcast can obtain a 10% discount on the cost of the STA home study course. Visit alpha-mind.net and go to the sponsor section of our page to find out how to obtain this. Now, on with this week's podcast. We're delighted to have Jonathan Baird back with us. Now, some of you may remember one of the key quotes of Jonathan from, from all that time ago was, I have seen the enemy and he is us, from one of our podcast number 73, if you want to go back and listen to that. But the reason why we've got Jonathan back with us is that, I mean, Jonathan is the um, editor and creator of the Global Investment uh, Letter, which is a phenomenally well-read piece of work about macro. And since we last spoke with Jonathan, the world has gone bonkers around macro themes. And we thought it really important to get Jonathan back just to sort of, you know, perhaps go over the last um, 18 months or whatever it is, Jonathan, guess, you know, what, what suddenly changed in the world? We were kind of gonna, um, um, and what impact are you seeing it happening? And how do you see all this going forward? You know, what, did, what what could this lead to? But also understanding that a lot of our audience may not have been paying attention to macro at all in the way that they've been trading. They may have just been like, you know, trading the flows and you know, new to the market and treating it like a game and getting carried out, you know, because of things suddenly changing direction without them being totally prepared for that and not really understanding really what macro is. You know, and I think it perhaps a good starting point is just to get get you to, you know, with your experience of this topic, just to, you know, to start off with the sort of broad brush. You know, what what does macro mean? What does it mean to you? What have you seen, and how have you seen, you know, macro strategy evolve and rapidly evolve 
you know, even over the last year or so. Anyway, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Let's start there. Thanks very much, Mark and 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 Stephen. Um, you know, I, I think your point about uh, paying attention to macro and its importance uh, uh, is very important because when I started uh, my career as a money manager in the eighties, uh, I was a pure uh, value investor and gave really very little attention to the macro considerations, and fortunately. I started my career in an era where where the macro environment was was about as benign as one could uh, could get. But then, as I progressed in my career, my my investment uh, approach changed and 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 got, I suppose, in you know, in one sense, more pragmatic. In that, as I started managing more money, and as time went on, and we saw the fall of the Soviet Union and and so on, uh, macro considerations uh, tended to <clears throat> play a uh, a larger role uh, in my thinking, and that and that role, whether it's uh, central bank uh, policy or or geopolitics or you know over the last few years the the appearance of a of a pandemic and so on, um, all have you know become sort of es- essential drivers of my investment approach that produces a, a strategy for investing in stocks, bonds, currencies, and so on. And uh, I'd make the observation to, to anybody now that the environment that we're living in currently uh, makes, you know, makes it incumbent on anybody who's a serious investor to start paying attention to macro considerations because I think the macro considerations are going to have a profound effect on investment results. Um, well, not only currently, but I, I suspect that we're going to see the 2020s as being defined or characterized as an era of very high um, market volatility because of those macro considerations. But uh, on a positive note, while that volatility is likely to present a lot of you know, fairly significant uh, risk for investors. I think if you're an active investor, um, you know, as all as I have always been, I think that volatility could produce some great opportunities. So, so for me, um, looking at um, looking at factors such as central banks, policy, geopolitics, whether you know we we've had a, obviously the ongoing war in Ukraine and so on. We're seeing, you know, issues, issues in in China and so on. Um, even with, you know, even the European Union and, and Brexit are all geopolitical factors that I think have have and will play a role in 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 investment results uh, going forward. Yeah, great. I think it's interesting, isn't it? How, you know, uh, predicting macro would have been a bit difficult two years ago. I think you got everything wrong, right? It's the sort of things that have turned up, you know, the unpredictability of it uh, well, and just the impact of it is just it, phenomenal. It, it, it has been. Uh, one of the things that I rely on, and it's it's a saying that I repeat because I think it's important, is that as investors, we don't have the luxury of dealing in certainties, but we have to deal in probabilities. And so, when I'm calculating sort of the, the potential effects of these various macro factors, I tend to um, 
attach probabilities uh, to their outcomes. And, uh, and that helps me at least uh, uh, gives me a direction to uh, form, uh, form my investment strategies. The other thing too, as, as investors, uh, more so now than perhaps at any time, is that we also have to be responsive to change and be quick to recognize mistakes or 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 the development of of, of events and be prepared to adjust our our investment positions and not be dogmatic. And all of those um, you know all of those principles that you know that that I've incorporated over the years you know through through hard won experience. Uh, through some you know some successes and 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 some uh, some challenges over the years, um, they've all certainly worked very well um, uh, over the last few years in 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 uh, mi- mitigating risk and and taking advantage of the opportunities that 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 have appeared. And um, you know I'm I'm uh, cautiously optimistic about about the years ahead because I'm uh, I have too much experience to get uh, more than cautiously uh, optimistic uh, about anything these days. So, but I, I do think that the, uh, the volatility that I expect, uh, you know, for the balance of the decade is going to produce also some, some pretty uh, attractive uh, uh, investment opportunities uh, I would say that I'd much rather be an active investor going forward uh, in the years to come than a passive investor. Uh, but that's a that's a whole that's a whole other issue that I could uh, go on a complete tangent about. So, hi Jonathan, yeah. um, great um, great to have you from from my personal perspective. Great to have you back, a friend of the podcast. Yes, um, absolutely, back on the show, and uh, we had some great feedback um when you were on first time and it's uh it, you know we, we we often um focus on on the behavioral the psychological um the emotional aspects of trading and investing but it, it, it's great sometimes to sort of look at some of these, these these other vital aspects you know of how you how you find value how you determine value some of the uh, the process aspects that go into your trading I, I'm always fascinated with macro, um, and, and I recall something you said last time you were on the show, which stood out for me, which was that I, th- I think you were already quite cautious about the macroeconomic outlook. I, you, I think we recorded it in about May or June of 2021, right? Um, but you were staying long of equities um, because. I think if I'm if I remember rightly, you said the sentiment was still still for higher higher equity prices. Um, it, 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 that that kind of highlights one of the challenges with macro. To sort of sometimes it it, it moves slowly, or the market takes a long time to come round to it, um, or, or, or timing it can be particularly challenging. How how do you cope with that, and how do you? factor that into how you work yeah no i you know uh steven your recollection is absolutely right and i was concerned uh as er, you know as early as uh early 2021 about markets but i did not actually exit markets uh, uh my various long positions until uh very early this year in 2022 
when they um, when they hit my uh, my sell prices. I, I'm a big advocate of of attempting to um, mitigate risk by by using things like uh, stop losses and so on, which I which I adjust as the as the market uh, um, movement uh, dictates, and I incorporate not only just my experience as a uh, as a money manager over the years, but also some some technical levels that I think are important and so on. And so uh, while I was while I was concerned, and I and I obviously in retrospect I was right to be concerned. Um, I did not actually get out of the market until early uh, 2022 because despite whatever I might have been thinking, market price action was not confirming my beliefs. And so uh, I remember writing in the Global Investment Letter that uh, rarely has a man been more bearish and more <laughs> long than I was in, uh, in 2021. And uh, fortunately, that discipline did work out very well because um, um, I held on and I got out. I think the bulk of my my sales was in January and early February, so that allowed me to keep the uh, the bulk of the the profits that I'd earned over you know the course of the of the previous bull market. But I was I was writing. I think I you know I put out a weekly um, market comment that people can subscribe to for free. It's just a an unsubscribe to whenever they want. They just have to leave their name and email address and so on. And I think it was last week I I put up a chart that looked at the uh, price action of the Fangs um, stocks and 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 other market leaders versus the S and P five hundred. And one of the historic indications of 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 the of a bull market nearing an end is when the the leaders of the bull market start to weaken in terms of relative performance and we started seeing evidence of that in the last half of of 2021 um and that tends to because of their large weightings the the um the large market uh, leaders tend to exert first a uh, um a slowing uh, um, influence on on markets, and then the markets will eventually roll over. and And we've seen that uh, with the Fang stocks and and uh, Teslas and 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 so on. Uh, be, and then they become in then they become the leaders of the bear market. And if you look at you know some of the price charts of Tesla and Facebook or Meta now. Um, you know, there's evidence that, you know, they've come off quite a bit. So all of these things in terms of historic precedent and macro considerations and 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 geopolitics, um, uh, I, I used to um, I used to uh, follow the Chinese equity markets uh, uh, quite closely and invested in them in the past. But then um, I, I was always a, in, you know, investing in China with the with the caveat that that could change uh, you know uh, if uh, adverse geo geopolitical influences arose and I started to get a bit concerned about developments in China for example particularly sort of around uh, Hong Kong and, and and so on and it caused you know it caused me just purely on a risk reward basis it caused me to 
sort of just withdraw from that market, which I think probably in retrospect is, pr- is proven to be, uh, um, you know, a, a prudent thing. Um, so I'm, I'm always looking for ways to um, uh, optimize risk and reward and hopefully, um, you know, recognize mistakes early. And, uh, you know, so the environment that we're in now and going forward is, uh, you know, as you know, as I've said before, is is likely to produce a lot of volatility, which means that I'm going to have to be very mindful myself of 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 staying as pragmatic in my in my not only my market analysis, but also in just in my in my trading activity. So that's I mean, it, it's amazing the way you talk about that. And it's, it's a great lesson for for younger traders, because it, you, you must have been holding a, um, a, a cognitive dissonance within your head. The way you described that, that you were probably the most bearish long on the street, if that yes. was quite the phrase you used. It wasn't quite the phrase, but... Well, that's how, essentially it, though, Stephen. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you know, how, I, how, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I was fully aware, you know, it's, it's you know, I was fully aware of, uh, uh, of the various... Uh, risks and, and catalysts for volatility that were available, but I also have learned from the past and 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 also from from uh, mistakes I made in the past in not recognizing that you need to rely on price action to vindicate your um, your market analysis. I mean, you know, I've I've uh, you know the opportunity cost that I've incurred I incurred in the past when I was younger. By by not waiting for price action to vindicate my concerns, uh, you know, is, is probably pretty considerable. I mean, a classic example of that was the internet bubble. Uh, you know, I, I was very very concerned about uh, sort of the state of markets, uh, and uh, while I made some money on the way up, uh, I ended up growing more and more uh, concerned about where where this was likely to end. And I was convinced. I mean, I knew what was going to happen, but the timing always with markets is always an uncertain. So, in retrospect, uh, I, I probably should have. Uh, I would have captured more of the upside then had I waited for uh, price action to confirm my my own analysis, because timing is obviously um, you know a, 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 a variable in every sense of the word. So from that time, I've I've learned since then uh, that whatever my view of the markets are, whether it's bearish or bullish, um, I'll wait for price action to confirm that because investments because that's going to uh, reflect investment sen- sentiment, and investment sentiment is obviously the the biggest driver of markets ultimately uh, over time. Uh, that because without investments. You know, without extremes of bearishness and bullishness, you'd never get market bubbles or crashes like we saw in 1929 or 87. So you got to be a bit mindful of changes. And I attempt to I attempt to sort of be an early sort of a early uh, um, get an early sense of of um, of changes in market sentiment. And there's a, there's a set of tools that I use for that as well. Uh, but price action uh, in all markets, not just stocks, currencies, commodities, or whatever, 
ultimately contains a lot of valuable information. And so there was that cognitive dissonance, um, which um, I think experience allowed me to, to, to manage without sort of it taking uh, too much of a, an emotional uh, uh, toll on me, which, which, it, which it could have if I was younger, you know. And do, do you think the fact that you're a macro thinker sort of protects you to some extent from the emotions that flow through market and um, just being of a slightly different perspective in terms of you know, how you hold a trade and how you manage a trade? Do you feel protected in the way that you know, by, by having a macro view or, or exposed? I, I think that I, I think that uh, it's helpful in that it, it provides me with a bit more uh, context in terms of uh, placing and, and managing the trade over time. Um, and, and that and that I think is helpful um, emotionally. Um, I think I, I wrote a piece uh, I wrote I wrote a piece uh, in one of my little weekly things not long ago, and I used the phrase that uh, clarity equals confidence. And and I was making the point that uh, the more work you do on a trade and the more context you have, um, it allows you to have more confidence in the decisions you've made. And, and the confidence um, uh, can be somewhat protective on, a, on an emotional basis. At the same time, you know, I, 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 I had to mention immediately the caveat that you have to be on guard for overconfidence and, and always be, um, you know, uh, questioning your own uh, state of mind and, and, and so on. Um, one, of, one of the, you know, one of my little sayings is that, you know, perhaps the most important uh, question that a trader or an investor can ask themselves is, what is it going to take for me to change my mind on this trade or, or investment? And if you do that, if you, if you, when you buy something or sell something, if you put in a, um, a set of criteria that uh, will uh, cause you to sort of uh, reconsider your thinking, I th- I found that to be, um, you know, a very, a very valuable way of uh, avoiding, uh, you know, ma- making poor trades worse and 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 not staying with uh, winning trades. So I, I hope that sort of addressed some of your. Uh... Yeah, no, indeed. Um, I, I think it's a useful point about you know trade entry and having a bigger picture awareness. I think they're one of the mistakes that I've seen many short term traders uh, sort of adopt as, as a habit. Actually, is is to not look at the the very long-term charts, you know, not have a perspective as to where we've come from uh, and, you know, the preceding trend. And I think I was talking with some um, some neighbours, they're all sort of, you know, market professionals, and I said to them, you know, do you remember where did the Dow get to after the crash, the banking crash in 2008? Right? And the range, they said, was somewhere between 15,000 to 20,000 was their response. Yeah. I said, no. It got down to eight thousand. That's right. Yeah. Right. And we're at thirty-two and a half now. Yeah. It got down to eight thousand, and people sort of forget that, you know. And um, so, knowing where we've come from, and you know, taking data back and trend lines back to 
real sort of ancient points of contact and understand where those lines come in within the context of a short-term trader's charts, you know. To be blind to that is just ridiculous, but there are a lot of people that operate blind trading short-term without a sense, particularly around technicals, of what the macro, from a technical perspective, looks like. Um, you know, and it's something that they need to wake up to, really, that uh, macro thinking economically and the geopolitical is one thing, but also macro thinking in terms of how you're reading charts is also... Uh, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right, Mark. And, and, and I think that in this environment, because there are so many... Um, uh, potential catalysts for volatility um, on the macro side in terms of central bank actions and, and geopolitics and so on, that can certainly uh, affect uh, short-term traders, uh, perhaps even more than longer-term traders, because if an adverse event comes to light overnight or so on, it can, you know, it, it can quickly uh, scuttle some, you know, very well thought out positions. And so, um, you know, ignoring those kind of facts uh, are, uh, you know, are dangerous, you know, re regardless of the time frame that you're um, uh, trading or investing in these days. Um, I mean, you know, you've got the, um, the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine, it, you know, may well end up having a uh, significant impact on energy prices before the end of the winter. Um, you look at you look at central bank policy, which I don't think markets are fully appreciating how much um, momentum there is uh, for central banks to continue to uh, increase interest rates. Um, you know, I, I hear and see a lot of conversation about um, you know the much hoped for uh, central bank uh, pivot uh, happening. You know, very soon. And I, I started hearing that back in, in, in July, August. And I think there's some good reasons why um, central bank rate increases may be more persistent than, than the market is uh, anticipating. Um, you know, I think the, um, you know, Liz Truss's uh, short, unlamented uh, tenure as prime minister was interesting for a couple of reasons. But specifically, the reaction, the market's reaction to her um, uh, economic plan uh, and, and the tax cuts, which were going to balloon the, um, uh, the British uh, budget deficit and so on, and the reaction of markets. I mean, that, you know, that was interesting to me because I think more than just sort of the, 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 uh, the policy itself, it indicated uh, what kind of stresses are at work in the global financial system? Because a few years ago, uh, the Trump administration in the United States did exactly the same thing, where they cut taxes for the higher uh, tax rate um, individuals, and it ballooned—you know—it it it served to balloon the U.S. budget deficit. But the markets did not react to that. But the fact that it reacted uh, to uh, uh, essentially the same policy in the UK a little later on, to my mind, suggests that there is a growing amount of structural stressors going on in the global 
financial uh, system, which, you know, which um, as a trader investor makes me, you know, makes me obviously uh, wary and, 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 and trying to be alert for developing trends. Um, you looked at, you know, you look at what's happening with the Credit Suisse and their, um, you know, uh, what's going on in their uh, collateral debt obligations and so on, that the prices are just, you know, the back to rising significantly again. Um, so all of these things to me are uh, at least suggestive that uh, the number of uh, catalysts for for market volatility is is increasing rather than than abating. And so I think as investors we have to, you know, proceed uh, proceed accordingly. Yeah, no, that's terrific. And, and and just a reminder, of course, to to anyone listening that all opinions expressed here are just that they're opinions. They're they're not recommendations. No, no, not um, at all, not at all. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. And Stephen, you know, if new information comes to light, I could change my mind after we get off the call. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, you 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 have made some fascinating points because it, you know, that that it, the incident with Liz Trust reminded me of some of the instances that I'd experienced in my trading career when market liquidity just evaporated. Um, you know, I mean, we had it obviously in a form around the pandemic, but that, that was from a, an external event. I guess what you're talking here is about government policies, um, you know, bond issuance, um, abilities to fund budget deficits, central bank decisions on rates, um they're all back in play yes and, and, you know that adds you know something which hasn't really been part of the agenda for a long time you know central bank action perhaps in the past few years has been directed towards saving stock markets um at various times what what and i think a lot of people this is part of the challenge i think you know unless you were around in the 80s or 90s um, such as you know, aging, uh, aging gobs on sticks like myself and Mark. <laughs> um, you know, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, you know, a, a lot of people haven't seen this before. You know, it, it's they've they've not seen macro at work in this way, and it, it's fascinating to see it and to see what happened with that temporary break, breakdown in the gilt markets. Yeah, I, I, you know, and it's the kind of thing that I, you know, unfortunately, I, I think it, it may be the kind of thing that we're, we're going to see um, again before the end of the decade. Um, I, you know, central banks come under a lot of criticism, but I, I re, you know, I just must say that they have a very difficult uh, job on their hands. Um, one of the, one of the challenges uh, of being a central banker is the fact that their actions tend to have a fairly significant lag effect. So it's very difficult for them to know exactly uh, how much um, uh, influence they should exert on interest rates and, 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 and money supply and so on to get the desired result. And I will say that I don't, I think central banks did the right thing in, in bailing out the financial system in 2008 and I think also 
some actions needed to be done um, with the shock that came from the uh, the appearance of of COVID. Um, so while I think that they're um, you know both needed to be done at the same time, um, the developed world. Uh, uh, has find itself now through circumstances in a situation where they've got an enormous amount of debt and are attempting to um, reset the uh, interest rate policy back to more historic norms. Um, Because the interest rates that we've had for the last number of years have, you know, while, while, um, you know, while they've been welcome, I guess, if you're a uh, borrower of money, uh, the fact that they're so low and negative in Europe and in Japan, or at least they were negative in Europe and still are in, in Japan, they they're 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 exerting a profound distorting effect on the global economy. And one of the reasons why I think that central banks are being now being as aggressive in raising rates as they as as they are is that they see the current surge in inflation as as an opportunity for them to try and reset rates to to closer to the longer term historic norms. And one of the reasons is just just to um, restore rates to a level that exerts a certain amount of financial discipline on the system. But also, too, by raising rates, uh, it also provides them with a tool to combat the subsequent recession. But with negative interest rates or essentially interest rates at zero and, and, and ballooning monetary policies and so on, going into, you know, going into this uh, cycle of, uh, of, of tightening, the central banks basically had next to no tools left to combat another financial shock. And I think that the leverage that's um, inherent in the global system uh, suggests to me that we're going to have another financial shock uh, at some point. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's next month, next year, or when it is, but I think that the uh, the ground has been laid for another financial shock. Uh, uh, you know, we you, you just look back on market history for the last 30 or 40 years, and um, nobody in retrospect would have predicted you know, uh, a market crash in 87, um, another market crash effectively in the early 2000 with NASDAQ going down 80 or 90 percent. Then you had 2008. And then in the appearance of a, a pandemic that kill, that has killed millions of people. So, you know, this is the world in which we live. And uh, the amount of debt that we that we're carrying now as a result of these events over the last you know, a few decades makes further volatility more likely going forward, in my opinion. We'll return to the podcast shortly. The AFMAN podcast is sponsored by TradeStation Global and the Society of Technical Analysts, the STA. TradeStation Global is a multi-asset trading platform with access to international markets where you can trade a range of instruments from one account and leverage professional-grade tools like Radar Screen, The Matrix, and Easy Language. And with TradeStation Global, there are no hidden price spreads, just transparent, low commissions. To find out more and to open an account, visit tradestation-international.com forward slash alphamind or go to our website 
website alpha-mind.net or see the link in the episode description. The Society of Technical Analysts, the STA, provide world-beating technical analysis education programs and offer outstanding membership services. Alpha Mind podcast listeners can obtain a 10% discount on the cost of their excellent home study course and home study course with a diploma package. To find out more about this offer, go to our website alpha-mind.net or see the link in the episode description. Now back to the podcast. So how, how does that alter people's investment approaches going forward? Um, you know, sort of the passive in, the passive investment approaches as opposed to the more active investment styles. I, I myself, I, I think it should encourage people to become more active in in their investing. And and by more active, you know, I, I think there are several several um, uh, chapters to that book. And you know, more active can just being being more engaged. And, and taking the time to be a better informed investor so that you can ask better questions about uh, to your financial advisors. Or if you have the inclination, the time and the inclination to, uh, to uh, uh, take more responsibility with, you know, with, with your own uh, financial future and, and more actively uh, set the strategy that you're going to going to uh, adopt going forward. My concern with the, uh, the passive investment uh, approach is that it has become so large that it's become something of a Frankenstein's monster. I think it started out as, as, as a good idea, um, you know, uh, but over 50% of invested capital now in, in, in at least Western countries is devoted to uh, uh passive strategies. And I think what is what's that's done also is created a generation or two of, of investors that lack the emotional uh, experience and, and the skills of, of, of managing market volatility themselves. Um, you know, one of the appeals of uh, passive investing, you know, besides the uh, lower fees at is that it's intellectually undemanding, and and that aspect of it being intellectually undemanding, I think, has created a generation or so of investors that may not be best uh, prepared for the kind of markets that I anticipate that we may experience. In which case, then you may end up getting. Uh, extra volatility as a result of the amount of money uh, devoted to passive strategies if sentiment among the holders of these various passive funds starts to uh, starts to change substantially. Uh, there's no evidence that it has as yet, but that doesn't mean that a set of circumstances won't emerge that doesn't doesn't produce that. So um, all of you know all of these considerations suggests to me that we are going to see a good deal of volatility going ahead uh, in the years ahead and and so to me the the rather than just sort of you know uh, attempt to mirror uh, index uh, averages uh, I would prefer to uh, look for uh, individual uh, opportunities uh, where the risk reward is is much more uh, compelling and for those that are um, for those uh, that are, you know, the more serious investors, I would 
say that, you know, it would be important also to look beyond your domestic markets and look at international markets, maybe even look at um, other asset classes and so on. One of the, you know, one of the nice things that's occurred over the last 20 or 30 years is the appearance of things like ETFs and so on, where investors can fairly easily get exposure to certain investment um, ideas um, uh, you know, much easier than, than than they might have, you know, back when I started in the business and so on. But you know, that's my concern about passive investing: is that what started out as a good idea, you know, may end up uh, creating a, a set of problems that will be difficult to reconcile. Yeah, that that that'll be interesting to see how that happens. And uh, you know, I, I do wonder whether that played any part at all this year in some of the dynamics around around the UK guilt situation because a lot of passive funds were invested heavily into into gilts as, as a low risk investment tool um, yes. which turned out to be quite high risk I think they've lost more money than just about any other almost any other asset class this year well um, yeah, well actually I, and I think that that extends to perhaps to a lesser extent through the bond markets of of, of all the major uh, nations, you know, which is ironic because, you know, for a long time, you know, we had a essentially a 40-year bull market in fixed income. And uh, a lot of people uh, who were looking for yield or looking for safety thought they found a refuge in, in the fixed income markets. Well, certainly 2022 has uh, sort of uh, been a uh, um, you know, a, a rude, uh, a rude awakening for for many people, which once again sort of uh, suggests that you know none of us can none of us can take things for granted or rest on our laurels. That even presumably the safest uh, the safest um, uh, asset class can can back up on you and and and, and create some serious losses. And I think that that really gets to the heart of macro. You know, it, it is looking at some of the larger forces, and actually, that the you know, sort of sometimes being passive. A lot of the the passive funds don't look at macro. That they're, they're maybe they're, they're, it's it's something that's a little bit of um, a, a kind of you know, we're looking at sort of data, past performance, things like that all the time to sort of rather than planning ahead for investment, active investment. Yeah. Um, so I think and, that's a good example. You know, and also, you know, the um, I think one of the reasons the um, the last bull market um, sort of um, one of the reasons that contributed to its rise, but also contributed to the very, very narrow leadership of the last bull market was the passive investing. Because, uh, you know, mo- a lot of passive funds do not hold the entire S&P 500, for example, They'll typically hold seventy-five or a hundred uh, of the largest names, which w- can effectively replicate the um, their returns. Particularly if they throw in some some derivatives to kind of uh, uh, you know tweak things. And so, what you end up having in the latter stages of the last bull market is you had a lot of passive money um, uh, programs throwing money into the Fang stocks because they were the largest cap. Uh, stocks, which you know, which ended up perpetuating the rise until once again, you know, markets will rise until they don't, 
and then they start going the other way. And we're seeing the, you know, the FANG stocks are, well, some of them anyway, are, are leading on the downside. You know, a chart of Meta and Tesla and so on, you know, is uh, is is a, is a disturbing sight <laughs> if you're if you're yeah. along these stocks. So, yeah, no, it's interesting times. Are you seeing any um, sort of a, a people, customers of your your newsletters? Has there been a change in the way they're sort of uh, giving you feedback at the moment with regard to markets? Um, well, some of them are, um, I, you know, recently, and I do, you know, I, it's a it's a very nice community, I must say. Of, of uh, I've been lucky that way of the people that that have subscribed, and I do hear from from some of them from from time to time. And you know, there have been uh, recently one of the subscribers asked me to comment on um, concerns that he had been hearing about liquidity in the U.S. Treasury markets. Um, and so I I, um, I addressed that in the in in the um, in the November issue of the Global Investment Letter, um, and um, and and so I I haven't I have not um, detected a, um, a real uh, dissonance in terms of their their um, opinion about my concerns uh, about. You know volatility going forward. Yet, um, uh, I do. I do post. Uh, I do post on uh, on LinkedIn and um, some of my thoughts, and I'll comment on some charts on my LinkedIn account. And I'm much more a- uh, apt then to get a bit of pushback from people that are um, that are bullish, that are uh, anticipating a. A, fe- a pivot by central banks in the near term, or are crypto enthusiasts and so on. Although I must say the crypto enthusiasts are becoming a smaller tribe um, over time, but um, not so much directly as my subscribers. The eighty subs- percent of the subscribers tend to be uh, have a position um, uh, in the uh, financial industry. Twenty uh, percent would be, I guess, what would be called high net worth individuals, but I would say a good 80% are, are money managers, brokers, uh, traders, and, and so on. And so um, uh, they're, they're a fairly sophisticated group. And I, I have, uh, their, their comments tend to be more directed at uh, assessing the risks out there as opposed to looking for reasons to buy. Um, but you know, I will say that uh, you know uh, the the current bear market that we're in is going to end eventually, and you know I'm already in the process of of looking for the potential leaders of the next bull market. I mean, so, you know, some candidates have caught my eye that I put on my watch list, so to speak. You know, whether they turn out to be the leaders or not, I don't know. It's premature to say. But there are some sectors and some ideas that I think likely are are going to uh, lead the next um, uh, bull market when it does occur, which you know is not likely to happen in the in the immediate future. But who knows? Um, but you know, an observation uh, you know I you know I make in the global investment letter and elsewhere is that every bull market has a new set of leaders, and so. The uh, the leaders of the last bull market 
while they still may be wonderful companies, are unlikely to produce the best um, risk reward opportunities in the next bull market. And we saw that, you know, we saw that in the late 1920s, you know, the, the that was led by radio stocks. And uh, then you had the nifty 50 market, you know, in the late 60s, which was led by conglomerates and, 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 and what passed for technology in those days, IBM and so on. Then, of course, you had the internet bubble at the turn of the century. Now we had the fangs and so on. So every major market move tends to have a tends to be characterized by a, a separate group of leaders, and I think that the next you know worthwhile bull market that we're going to see is probably going to be the same. I mean, I've got some ideas, but it would be it would be premature for me to talk about them because uh, they're just ideas right now, and uh, uh, you know uh, I don't have enough evidence to really justify whether I'm correct or not. I think I would be failing in my duty if I didn't at least try and ask you to <laughs> <laughs> to, to maybe give us a little clue. Of well, one okay, one one that I th- one I think is a core. Well, I can give you a couple of core investment themes that they might not be the 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 best uh, the you know the absolute best leaders of the next market because I think that's probably going to be in the tech space. But a couple of. Uh, themes that's that's a core long-term approach for me one is defense the defense uh, sector um, you've got a combination of technological uh, innovation which is introducing new products all the time as well as the deteriorating geopolitical scene which is <clears throat> clearly is is uh, is causing uh, uh, um, weapon systems to be used uh, at a uh, you know a fairly uh, quick rate. Now, wh- uh, what I would say there, and I'm I'm not currently long the sector because it hasn't the price action hasn't said to me you know time to get back in because we're still in a bear market. <clears throat> but that would be an area I'd be watching, and where I would focus my my attention there would be on the companies that have the highest um, uh, technological input into their products, such as the aerospace companies and missile systems and, and so on. And then another another sector, which I think is going to be, it, w- it will be hard to go wrong with longer term, is, is healthcare. Because uh, the three of us are all baby boomers and uh, we're likely to need more healthcare in the years to come than we did 30 years ago. And uh, thank goodness we're not alone. So the baby boomers are still around. And so I think that the aging demographics of the developed world and once again, technological innovation and new techno, you know, drugs and so on, suggest to me that healthcare is probably one to look at. But once again, you know, I, I um, uh, neither sector right now is one that I that I have a position in because the price action has not vindicated my view. Uh, I exited those positions early in the year when the market, the whole market just rolled over. Um, but I think though, as I say, those are core long-term themes for the global investment letter. And, um, um, it, you know, I, unless, uh, unless peace breaks out, uh, at some point in the world, the, uh, Defense stocks is probably going to be a good uh, 
a good place to be in the years to come. And unfortunately, I'm not that optimistic about the human animal that I think we're going to have uh, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Just butting in for a second to add a little context, this episode was recorded in December and it's clear that Jonathan was in a slightly seasonal mood with that last comment. We will return to the episode in a second, which is when I let you know of a one-day conference on the 18th of April in London called Technicals to Trading Systems. This event is being run by our sponsoring partner, the Society of Technical Analysis, the STA. This is open to finance professionals working in funds, banks, prop firms, asset management firms, commodity and energy trading firms and research shops as well as to serious minded retail traders and anyone interested in systematic and quantitative trading and analysis. If you're in London, the UK or Europe, this is a great opportunity to hear some great speakers and to learn from them. It is also an excellent chance to meet and network with like-minded individuals. The STA have already announced a list of outstanding speakers, including our recent podcast guests, Robert Carver and Jeff Picaccio, Professor Jessica James, Senior Quant Researcher at the German investment banking giant Commerce Bank, Technical analyst experts Trevor Neal and Eddie Topfit and Victoria Scholar, head of investment at Interactive Investor. And there will be more speakers added to the event. And Mark and myself will also be appearing as speakers. And we would be delighted to say hello if you happen to be at the event. If you are unable to attend, you can also register to view the event virtually. To find out more and to register for this event, go to the STA website at technicalanalysts.com. Now back to the podcast. I've got a quick question, actually, um, and this is stepping back to a really, really big macro picture, Jonathan. Do you notice any variance of mindset from from country countries' ability to respond from shocks? You know that there's that certain cultures are more rapidly responding to recover than others in how you look at you know where to potentially see opportunity. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that's, that, that, that affects a country's ability to respond to shocks and so on is their own internal political situation. And so, you know, that can vary over time. Um, what's concerning to me on a very broad geopolitical uh, level is the, the rise of populist political parties in Europe and, and, and elsewhere. Um, the, you know the the history of of that in the 1920s and 1930s was not particularly inspiring so th- that that's a that's a potential source of 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 concern for me in terms of uh the behavior of countries and 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 their and their ability to respond to events and so on japan is an interesting uh country to me for a variety of reasons i think that they're uh Equity markets offer great value, but at the same time, their central bank attitude towards maintaining rates at, to, to my mind, irresponsibly low levels uh, and so on uh, is a problem. And you look at you know what's occurred with the uh, with the yen this year in terms of the the rapid uh, depreciation versus the dollar, and 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 that that you know we we in the global investment letter we were. Uh, you know, we were on the uh, the bearish uh, side of the the yen for 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 some time, and we participated in pretty well the whole move. and um, And and the same thing has happened, obviously, with the British pound and the euro. The dollar has come off more recently, but I don't know if uh, uh, the dollar can be expected to uh, 
fall significantly more because it, it remains the world's reserve currency and the and the uh the fed is raising rates in such a way that the dollar still enjoys a, a positive interest rate differential over other major currencies so the currencies affect investment choices as well because while, while i find some some really interesting value in japanese uh, equities the fact that i'm not a yen based uh, investor uh, means that the, the depreciation of the yen this year would have really uh, hurt uh, hurt my results if if i had have been long japanese equities um, you know regardless of how how well i selected them so th- that's another reason why macro is important is is because you can look um at international opportunities but then you also have to put that within the context of how is the uh, current the local currency going to uh perform versus your um versus your own you know you know investors have the option of of hedging uh positions the currency positions but at the same time you know uh hedging costs uh cost money as well. And so all of these things have to be uh, factored in. Um, you know, looking out, you know, for the very long term, I, I still see great opportunities in emerging markets. Um, uh, this is for the, you know, my the longest term horizon that I would have, that I think that um, selected uh, emerging markets are going to do very, very well over time. With the caveat being that uh, I don't invest, you know, looking out 20 years, I tend to just invest as long as as evidence suggests that I that that I'm right. So I, I never buy something with the idea that I'm just going to forget about it and hold it for 10 or 20 years. Uh, I, I just I buy that, you know, I buy a position and I'll hold a position for years if, if that's, you know, what's indicated. But at the same time, I manage the trade, and I think that's a key concept too. You don't just buy something; then you ma- you have to manage a position after you you establish it, and 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 the managing the position becomes a a function of 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 evidence as as it as it appears and so on. But I mean, notionally speaking, I think longer term uh, emerging markets are going to be uh, interesting places to be, albeit probably volatile uh, investment vehicles as well. Yeah, interesting. The reason I asked the question was that we get so used to it in the UK of getting front price, front, front, front page press um, telling us we're into a recession, it's going to be bad, it's going to be terrible. And, um, you know, in Spain, my wife is Spanish, it's always about the crisis, you know. So sometimes countries talk themselves into holes, you know. And uh, I always mm. see... Slightly less of that in, in, in on the American continent. It's there's, there's a bit more buzz about bounce back. Um, well, I, yeah, yeah. I, I I think Americans by by nature are just an optimistic people. Yeah. Which yeah, uh, which <clears throat> which uh, obviously sometimes I'm Canadian, so you know I have a bit of a different point of view. But you know my American cousins are basically uh, almost always optimistic, which sometimes I I you know, causes me to scratch my head. At the same time, though, I think that optimism has also probably played a role in, in the success of the United States over the years. Exactly. So I think on balance, it's probably been a positive thing. But you're absolutely right. There, there is more 
optimistic optimism about um, a soft landing, which is to me in economic terms is as close to an, a unicorn as you can get. I've never seen a, a, a soft uh, economic recession in my life anyway. But, uh, and I don't think we're going to see one either. I don't think that's what the Fed wants because if the Fed is intent on on uh, subduing inflation, it's go- it's going to have to cause the um, the U.S. economy to to slow considerably, um, you know, w- which we saw back in the days of Volcker and so on. Although fortunately, the the, the situation isn't as dire now. But <clears throat> um, I I think you're absolutely right about that, Mark. That some people. Some nations are just um, uh, a bit more uh, optimistic. And, uh, you know, it's a function of a lot of things. But, um, you know, uh, in the United States, you know, the dollar has been strong. Markets have been relatively, I mean, U.S. markets for the the last seven or eight years have been, I think, by far the strongest markets in the world. And a good part of a good part of that is the strength of the of the U.S. dollar, which has not only um, um, sort of uh, helped the domestic market, but it's attracted a lot of foreign capital flows into U.S. equities. Um, and the um, you know the perception of the United States as a as a as a as a safe haven for capital too certainly has played a role as as you know as as global uh, geopolitics have have deteriorated somewhat over the last four or five years. So um, yeah, I do th- I do think that the U.S. may be the last holdout of, of optimism in the world. Um, and eventually that sentiment is probably going to get uh, tested. Um, but I would also expect that, you know, um, coming out the other side of the, of, of the bear market, the U.S. will be uh, – you know, uh, once again, among the most optimistic as well. So, which on balance, I think, serves them well over the long term. Indeed. Anyway, I guess what perhaps timely now to guess <clears throat> hand over to Steve. I think Stevie was just going to ask some uh, things about where folk can find you and etc. Uh, etc. Et and uh, how they can get in touch with some of this free stuff you generate and some of the more formal stuff. You've asked it. I don't need to ask okay. it now. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, th- thanks very much. Um, well, our website is the globalinvestmentletter.com. Um, and um, there are sample issues of the Global Investment Letter available on the website. You just click on sample issues. And if you do that, you'll get access to the sample issues after you leave your name and email address. And then you also get put on a, a weekly uh, email that I put out typically on a, on a Tuesday where I'll just talk about some aspect of investing or, or markets and so on. And certainly, you know, the uh, people that subscribe to the weekly email, they can unsubscribe at any time. Um, so part of what I'm trying to do as well as providing my analysis of, of markets and, and each each issue of the global investment letter, I look at them, major equity, bond, currency and commodity markets. But as, as part of that as well, as I, I uh, attempt to just impart some of the things I've learned as a money manager uh, over the years. So um, not only am I sort of providing my analysis, I'm also 
just giving the subscribers some ideas on how they can manage their own uh, investment positions and ask better questions of, of, of the people that uh, are managing money for them, if that's the case and so on. So, um, yeah, that, 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 that's about it. Uh, Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and that's one of the things I really like about your, your investment letter. And I, I don't mean to be disparaging to people who, who produce analysis, but you, you've got skin in the game and you can see that in the way you write, um, you know, that, that there's stuff behind your forecasts. Yeah, I mean, uh, basically, it's kind of looking over my shoulder and I talk about yeah. sort of what I'm doing, why, you know, why I'm doing it, why I'm not doing something. I'll talk about, um, you know, when I set up my my sell, sell, sell prices, my stop losses, I'll say, OK, this is why I'm doing it at this level. With the idea being is that, you know, people can sort of see and say, OK, well, he's doing that because that's technically um, an important level and, and so on. And then, you know, I'll, I'll talk about I'll talk about geopolitics and I'll talk about investment philosophy and so on. So I I, I just, you know, each issue is a, a, an attempt on my part to just uh, share some of the things that I've learned uh, over the years. And uh, I've been very fortunate that the, the feedback from subscribers has been very positive which is to me heartwarming because, you know, I, I love the investment business, you know, uh, aside from the financial considerations, it's intellectually challenging. It's an, you know, it's an attempt to try and figure out the world that we live in and so on. And I find that uh, one of the things that drew me to the investment business was that. And I found that the, you know, the people in the business tend to be, you know, very bright, interested people. And, uh, and, and and so I just enjoy you know keeping my hand in and uh, and uh, keeping up with markets and sharing what I've learned. Well, that's wonderful, and that that that's why that's why we've had you on twice because uh, there is a surplus of wisdom there, um, and you know which which you can't buy. You know, it's it's all those years of experience. Well, the yes, yeah. they were hard won years of experience. Yeah. If only I could go back uh, thirty years and uh, know what I know now, but that's not the way <laughs> life works. <laughs> Mark, do you want to take us out? Yeah, well, listen, um, Jonathan, great to have you on again. So relevant with what's going on and what's yet to come, I guess, because I've been. I think we've all been through those thirty or forty years. And yeah, it's one thing after another, if you guys look back historically and keeping your eyes open uh, on as broad a reach as possible is just so important. And I mean, just to reemphasize that Jonathan's available on uh, uh, globalinvestmentletter.com with all of his details, just if you didn't pick that up. And I, I guess I'm leave you with a phrase really from what Jonathan said clarity equals confidence. Okay, clarity <laughs> equals confidence. So, Jonathan, many thanks. been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Stephen. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening today. We would like to thank our podcast sponsorship partners, TradeStation Global and the Society of Technical Analysts, the STA. You can find out more about our sponsors on our website, alpha-mind.net, or see the link in the episode description. 
TradeStation Global is a multi-asset trading platform with access to international markets where you can trade a range of instruments from one single account and leverage professional grade trading tools. Visit tradestation-international.com forward slash Alphamine to know more. The Society of Technical Analysts, the STA, provide well-beating technical analysis education programs. Alphamine podcast listeners can obtain a 10% discount off the cost of their excellent home study course. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a friendly review or provide a rating for the show on whichever podcast service you use. You can find out more about us on our website, alpha-mind.net. You can follow us on Twitter at alphamind101 and at alphamind102. And you can connect with me, Stephen Goldstein, and my co-host, Mark Randall, on LinkedIn. You can also follow us and can check back over some of our past episodes on the alphamindpodcast.com. We wish you the best of luck in the markets. Have a good week.